Thank you, praise team and Bob. I'm going to let you remain seated for the reading of God's Word. It's a longer passage. Oh, kids be dismissed. Kids only dismissed. Kids at heart. First John 2, 1 through 14. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he, Jesus, walked. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know him, know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Lord, bless your word. Multiply it in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What are you passionate about? I mean, what really stirs your passion? I, 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 sometimes we get passionate about like amusement parks. Anybody ever passionate about amusement parks? Okay, just me. So last week, there I am. I am on the beast, and I am passionate about that first hill on the beast. You know, we, we get passionate about amusement parks. You can take that off. I'm, I, I look really scared, don't I? We get passionate about stories, good movies, good books. The other night, I had a dream that was so good. Terry woke up and had to go, and I said, I am going back to sleep to finish this dream. You know, we get passionate about it. It was just a good story. Talk to me later. It was, it was kind of a nightmare, but it was a, it was a fun nightmare, you know? And, uh, and, and so we get passionate about stories. We, we get passionate about sports. Uh, last Sunday night, who watched the Cavs win the championship and who was passionate about it, right? I was passionate about it. And not that I'm a Cleveland Cavalier fan. I am sorry. I am a Cincinnati boy. It's very difficult for me to root for any Cleveland teams, but I like LeBron James. So I was passionate. And we get passionate about our sports. And, and so what are you passionate about? Well, let's do this little test. OH, Ohio. you are passionate about Ohio State football. You know, there's things that we are passionate about. There's people that we're passionate about. You know, our, our kids, we're, we're passionate about our kids and our friends and our, our family, our grandkids. Some of you grandparents have never been more passionate than you are about your grandkids. Some of you grandparents are on Facebook only so you can post pictures of your grandkids, right? You know, we're passionate about people. There, there's things that stir us up. There's things that make us excited. There's things that cause us to stand up and scream. There's things that make us excited and, 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 and just really have the zeal for life. What do you think God's passionate about? Think about that. What, what, what do you think 
if you could get into the heavenly throne room right now, if you, if you could see God, what do you think makes God passionate or stirs the passion of God? Let me ask it another way. How do you see God this morning? Right, right now, as, as we're close your eyes just for a moment. How do you see God? And particularly how God views your life. Do, do you see God as disapproving? Disappointed? Angry? Disinterested? The truth is, how we see God with regard to ourselves oftentimes determines how we walk before Him. And, and so I think it's important that we see God in the right way. You know what God is with you? God is your biggest fan. There is no one that will ever love you or, or cheer on your success more than God. God looks down from heaven and he sees you. And as much as I was rooting for LeBron James, God's rooting a million times more. As, as much as I root for my kids, God roots more for you. Think, think of the stories you, you have in the Bible. You, you have this story of the, the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, the father is just sitting, waiting for the son to come back home. Now, the other stories, there's, there's three lost stories. There's a lost coin, there's a lost sheep, and the lost coin and the lost sheep story, there is this image of the one who has lost the object looking and searching and passionately searching. But then you have the prodigal son, and, and when the prodigal son comes home, the, the father's what? Sitting on the back porch, waiting and watching, and he runs and meets the son and embraces him. And before the son can say anything, the father's putting a ring on his finger, putting a robe around him, and, and killing the fatted calf. <laughs> Who has a fatted calf at home ready to go? I'm just curious. Just the spurlocks, I guess, yeah. And has this huge party for this son who had basically insulted him. And, and then Jesus at the end of the parable says, you know, Every time one lost sinner comes home, <laughs> there is a huge party in heaven. You know the worst way that God sees you? And I believe this is by the authority of Scripture. I think God doesn't see you as loser or sinner or, or, or lost. He sees you as prodigal. My child, my son, my daughter that has strayed. And God sees you differently sometimes than we think God sees us. I know in my life there's been times when I, when, when I felt that I, I feel like God's over me just, if I could just, if I could reach you, I would smack you, right? Anybody else ever feel like that? <laughs> that, that God's, you know, everything that goes wrong in your life, it's not God disciplining you, but it's just God smacking you around. That somehow He doesn't have a lot of love for you, but man, He really gets into punishing you when you mess up. God is passionate about you. God wants us to succeed, not fail. 
That's God's desire in your life. God's desire is not before you to get to heaven and Him say, man, you messed up and you missed it. But God's greatest desire, if we could see the heart of God right now, He is wanting you to stand before His throne at the end of your life and be able to say what? Well done, good and perfect servant. You did great. That is the desire of our Heavenly Father. Now, verse, verses 1 and 2 is, is, is really talking about this. this. You know, God's not wanting us to constantly fail, but he, he wants us to move forward in faith and relationship. And, and there's two things that you see in verses 1 and 2. You see first that Jesus is our advocate. Now, an advocate is, you know, the, the best way I can explain it is a lawyer. You go, ooh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but someone that is on your side, that stands by you, that, that, that is, is defending your cause. When I practice law, my duty as a lawyer, what I, you know, and lawyers get criticized for this, but this is what I was paid to do. I was to zealously defend my client within the bounds of the law. I was, I was charged, legally obligated to do everything I could for my client that was legally um, allowed and was not tactically uh, something that would be wrong. You know, you see all the time, say, oh, well, this lawyer did this. That lawyer is charged to do that. They're to do everything they can for the, for the benefit of that client. Jesus is your advocate. Jesus will do anything he can for your benefit. He stands before the holy throne right now and makes intercession for us. And he defends us in every way that he can. Then it says, Jesus is our propitiation. Uh, that's a fun word to say. Let's say that together. Propitiation, right? You guys didn't say it with me. Let's go. Come on. One, two, three. Propitiation. Okay. Yeah, that's a fun one. What's that mean? That means expiation. <laughs> Was that helpful? That's one of those, it's a big theological word that basically means that Jesus paid the price for us so that we could have a favorable relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus sacrificially gave of Himself so that we can be in right fellowship, right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Put that together. Jesus is your lawyer that goes to jail for you. How do you see God? I mean, I mean, do you see God as disapproving, disinterested, uh, angry? If Jesus is a picture of the heart of God, then God is not that at all, is he? Jesus passionately, and that word's important, passionately, seeks our best, even to the point of paying what we owe. That is how your heavenly Father sees you. That is how Jesus sees you. We, we've been looking through 1 John, and, and, and we're talking about people who are forgetting who they are. <laughs> you ever have that happen? You kind of you, you forget who you are and whose you are. 
And, and it's a people that because of society, they're starting to want to just blend in. They're forgetting that they've been bought with a price and called to live something more than just the ordinary. They're forgetting that they're called to live holy lives. They're forgetting that God is calling them beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary. He's calling them to be different. God sees more in us than we see in us. God sees more in you than you see in you. God sees more in me than I see in me. See, the point of what John's talking about is this. It's God intends, God's desire for us is not that we live in constant failure, but that we be transformed. That, that, that somehow God, through Jesus Christ, through the power and the significance of the Holy Spirit, is wanting to work in our life in a way that we're no longer ordinary, but we're extraordinary in Him. Not that we're extraordinary in of ourselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can transform us to be holy. It's the call of Scripture. And here are these verses. The Bible is the word of the Lord, right? Amen? And as Christian people, we have gathered here today around God's Word with the belief that, that God does not call us to something that we can't live, right? That, that this isn't, you know, God putting a, a, a pea under a, a cup and shifting them around and going, ha ha, you were wrong again. But, but this advocate, heavenly Father we have that sent His own Son to die in our place so that we can have this fullness of relationship. What He asks us to do, we can live. What He promises, He can fulfill. And so when God's Word says something, it's not just this grand ideal, but it's a practical way that we're to live our lives. Amen? And so there's all these commands in the Scripture I think the easy thing to do is, if we have a wrong ideal of God, a wrong view of God, a wrong understanding of how much He loves us and how much He's pulling for us, that we can start to think, well, I'm just going to live below that because I can't live to what God's calling me to do. But God's calling us to more, folks. This is God's holy church. God's extraordinary people. <laughs> that God is calling us to live this out in a world that never sees anything holy and extraordinary anymore, but that wants to live it out in this place, right? So I'm going to look at some scriptures. And these, from, from four different sources. This is the, the Apostle Peter. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You, you, didn't, you didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. So this is the Apostle Peter. That You know, we see the track of Peter's life. And in Peter's life, there's some ups and there's some downs and there's some failures. And there's some, even last week, we talked about Peter. At some point after being full of the Holy Spirit, God was still rooting out stumps from his life and, and God was still working on him but, but Peter had this understanding that in his life even though God was still growing him that God's call for him was to be holy like God is holy then you have the apostle Paul that writes you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had 
Some translations say, have the same mind. Think like Jesus thinks. And so, so we see Jesus. And, and, and I don't know about you. Maybe you, you see that scripture and you think, oh, okay. I see that scripture and I go, whew. You know, you see the commercials where people's minds blow, poof. That's a mind-blowing scripture to me that God is calling me to have the same mind, to have an attitude like Jesus Christ. Because when I see how Jesus lived, I I know sometimes I feel like I fall short of that. Do you? (laughs) But that's the call. Yeah, Jesus, all right? So, So Jesus will tell us straight, right? But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, that's when you want to drop the pen and just say, okay, I give up, right? This call to be holy, like God is holy, to have an attitude like Jesus, to have a mind like Jesus, to be perfect like your, your heavenly Father. See, we have an optimistic gospel. You realize that, right? We, we have an optimistic theology. We believe that God is calling us to more, that God is calling us to, to holiness. God is calling us to, to Christian perfection. And, and I'm always very careful when, when I use that word Christian perfection because I believe that we can begin to think that is a life where there's never any need for confession, that there's never any need to, to, to recalibrate. To, re, to revision, to re, have a, a new, fresh ideal of what you're supposed to do. But, 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 but it's, it's, it's being perfect, perfectly useful to God to be biblically perfect. And I'm going to trip over that today. I don't know why that's getting me. To be perfect is to be able to be used by God. And, and we've all seen the examples. We've talked about the examples. But these are reading glasses that I, I, I bought that were like 20 bucks. Okay, These are not perfect in the scientific terms, right? Not scientific. You know, I've chewed on them and done different things with them. So they're not perfect in that way. But if I need to use reading glasses, they, they can be used for that. And to, and to be perfect by God's standard is to be able to be used by Him. So, so there's perfection and, and, and there's this call to think like Jesus, to understand like Jesus. It's, it's a call to be transformed. I want you to know this morning that God's call on your life is not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. Now John says it like this. Now the one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That that God is calling us, according to the gospel, to to John, the, the apostle John, God is calling us to walk like Jesus walked. Now, he's not talking about having the gait that Jesus had, but he's talking about living a life like Jesus lived. We're called to live the life like Jesus. Now, now this is optimistic. And we've talked, you know, to be holy, to be perfect, to, to think like Jesus, to live like Jesus. These are optimistic phrases. That's, and it can only happen through the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, what's it mean? It means we're called to love 
like Jesus loved. You know, that, that, that's the central thing, right? When he's talking about this central command, he's talking about this command, it's, it's this command of love. Jesus said, that, you know, what's the greatest command? Love God, love others. And so in all this, to walk like Jesus is to love like Jesus. And to love like Jesus is to love with all your soul, all your might, all your strength, everything within you, your heavenly Father, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that somehow in loving like that, that, that we fulfill this greatest commandment. We, we live holy, perfect lives. We think like Jesus. Now to Jesus, all that mattered was pleasing his Father, right? You, you, you know, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. You know, we, we talk about this often. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Jesus died on the cross because it was the will of the Father. He didn't want to die on the cross, but the Father said, this is my will for you. And so Jesus fulfilled the Father's will. This is just an aside. If you live a life that is based on what you feel like doing only, you'll never live to the standard that God's calling us to live. Even Jesus, Jesus, the perfect example, didn't live to the level of feeling, but he lived to the level of obedience, right? And so Jesus didn't feel like, didn't emotionally want to die on a cross in our place, but because it was the Father's will, He was obedient. We live in a feeling, emotional society where everything is based on the feeling of a moment. If you want to live like Jesus, you'll never live that life emotionally, only on feeling. If you come into a service and the only time you praise God is when you feel like it, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. If the only time you give, if the only time you serve is when you feel like it, you're going to miss it. Now, now I, I believe there, there's times that, that the feeling precedes the actions. And those are great times. Amen? But folks, there's sometimes that we do the right thing because it's the right thing and God has called us to do it. We're called to love like Jesus. Let me ask you, do you see others like Jesus sees others? Do I see others like Jesus sees others? See, Jesus saw people differently than we do, didn't he? Yeah, when Jesus saw the crowds, what does it say? It says Jesus was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, Jesus saw people in a different way than we see people. And if we're going to see and understand our neighbor, we have to begin to see them in a different light. I had a note in my sermon here, and I really debated using it. Uh, should, should I do it? It's always scary when I do this. You guys are scared right now. The, 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 the lawyer says to Jesus, he says, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells a story about the Samaritan, right? 
And, and, and who's Jesus pick to be the hero in the story? His greatest enemy. Now, that's a very sterile story when we talked about Samaritans because we don't even know what a Samaritan is, right? <laughs> they name hospitals after him, right? But I often wonder, what would that story be like in our context with Jesus? We're going to get real scary here, okay? Who would be the person that would be the hero in your life? Would it be somebody that had offended you? A name? Would it be a people group? And a Muslim walk down the street. That's what Jesus is doing. And then a homosexual walk down the street. Then a liberal walk down the street. Then a, you fill the gap. See, Jesus saw people differently, and he expects us to see people differently. Our Heavenly Father saw us differently. He saw us when we were lost and undone, he saw us as something extremely valuable. And so the call of Jesus to love our neighbor is beyond those that it's easy to love, but sometimes we got to love the people that it's very difficult to love. Let me read some scripture to you. This is what Jesus said. Jesus says this. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its written companion, uh, unwritten companion, companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. <laughs> Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working one of the tr at one out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best. <laughs> the sun uh, to warm and the rain to nourish to every, everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. <laughs> if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a world, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like that. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Those aren't my words. <laughs> Those are Jesus' words. Jesus is calling us to a love that moves beyond those that love us, to those that it's easy to love, to love those that might be difficult for us to love. Am I willing to give sacrificially for someone else? See, this is, this is the point, right? You know, the, the scripture starts and says, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus has given of himself so that we can have relationship with God. And, and John goes on and says, and you are to walk 
like Jesus. If we're going to live this life of righteousness, it's not just this inner work, but it's an outer work that God is changing us from the inside out in how we live towards others. And so Jesus is an advocate who has given of himself for others, and he's calling us to be an advocate for other people and give of ourselves for other people. Right? Am I missing something here? Or is God, see, see I, I think somehow we can get this and we can get to this, okay, I'm to be righteous. But what's this righteousness look like? It looks like Jesus. And folks, when this righteousness is just this received righteousness, then I think we're missing the entire point of what Jesus came to do and what he called us to do. If you belong to Jesus, you walk, you love, you see like Jesus. Isn't that what John's saying? And if, and if, if somehow we're not walking like him, somehow there's a disconnect between what God has done and what he's expecting us to live. Am I willing to give sacrificially for someone else? Can, can, can we go back to where we've started this? God sees more in me than I see in me. God sees more in us than we see in us. You know what I think? I think God expects us to be a people who sees more in others than they see in themselves. Could it be so radical <laughs> that... Dr. Consulman, Jeff Consulman asked me to, to do a, a morning at camp meeting and we're talking about whole, the outward expression of holiness. And so I preached last Monday out there and, and, and I talked about seeing because I think that's where it starts. Until you can see people like Jesus sees people, it's going to be impossible to love like Jesus loved. You know, when, when you see people by political party, when you see people by who, what they're, <laughs> I'm trying to tread real lightly here. When you can't see to the core, when you can't see people like Jesus sees people, it's going to be impossible to love people like Jesus loved people. And when we categorize and, and we label and, and we say this person is this or that and, and that's all they are and, and somehow we begin to think that, uh, well, we, we portray how we see God, that we're angry and we're, we're, we're disinterested or we're, we're, we're just, we just want to punish them or we just want to smack them around. And, and yet in our lives we want God not to be like that with us at all, Right. And so until we can get to this point where we can begin to just see. I, I, I talked with a church one time, a church board, and they had a prison ministry. And, and I'll never, this has just stuck with me. And, and so one of the board members was talking about this prison ministry and, you know, that, that he was serving in. In essence, he said, though, oh, well, it really doesn't make any difference. They'll be back in prison. <laughs> eh, yeah, well, whatever. And I can, me and Terry talked after this, and I said, what in the world is he doing working there? 
if he feels that way about them. God sees every person as redeemable and worthwhile, do we? You know, regardless of bank account, regardless of what they look like, regardless of uh, the language that they say, regardless of their understanding, regardless of where they are in their faith walk, God sees everyone at the very least as just prodigals that need to find their way home. You want to love like Jesus? Then that means that you're an advocate for other people, even people that may be hurting you. If you're an advocate like Jesus, you're giving of yourself for other people. Even people that maybe don't deserve your time and attention. Can we go back to the cross? Jesus is on the cross, right? And, and he's, he's dying. What's Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. To live like Jesus, you think like Jesus, you see like Jesus, you love like Jesus. And we can't do this alone. We, we, you know, this is transformational stuff. And, and, and I'm not even going to pretend that I've got all this down. I don't. God's still working on me and God's still showing me new things. And, 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 and there's still times in my life where I see somebody, then God has to smack me in the head. Because sometimes he still smacks me in the head, but it's out of love. He smacks me in the head and says, Paul, you're not looking at them right. You're not, you're not seeing things correctly. You need to see them differently because I see them differently. We need God. We need each other. Um, John goes on. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I, am write, I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. It's father, it's young men, it's children, it's back and forth. And and, and what I believe John's saying is this, we're in this together. Regardless of your age, regardless of where you are in spiritual maturity, we need each other. We, we need each other to build into each other and pray for each other and lead each other and, and show the example of what it means to live like Jesus. And so we're going to close today with this great feast of together, this communion, koinia meal. You know, this, this meal that we eat on a journey together, Where, wherever you find yourself. And Joe, if you and Christy come begin preparing this, and Amy, if you'll come. We're going to receive communion, and we're going to do it uh, a little bit differently than we've been doing it the last few months, but more familiar than maybe you've done it in, in the past. We're going to receive the little cups and the, the bread. Uh, in, in the center, I, I've had some that have asked for, for gluten-free uh, communion, so that's there if you need that or would desire that. Uh, and that will be at the middle table. Just see it there. Uh, so what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to come forward and receive the elements. And then I'm going to give you instruction. Don't eat the elements yet. Uh, but I'll be giving you instructions after you have received it. Stand with me if you will. They're going to sing. And the ushers will be dismissing from the back so that you can receive communion. If you need any assistance, we, we have some communions in the back. You know, you know th this is voluntary. You don't have to receive communion. Uh, but if you, we, we, that's your desire, we want you to. And if for some reason you can't make your way to the front, just let one of the ushers know and, and they'll have that little basket and be able to give you communion.
of when you think of communion? I'm just curious. I mean, do you, is it just about the sacrifice that Christ paid for us? That's part of it. But communion is kind of an interesting feast that we receive. It, it's really pretty ordinary things, right? You know, it's bread and it's juice. It's pretty common. Uh, you know, we don't usually drink from these little cups in our homes, but uh, the meal that Jesus instituted was a common meal. Uh, I believe that, that, that every time the disciples would stop and eat and drink wine and eat bread, their mind couldn't help but go to Jesus and what Jesus did. And I think the other meaning of communion is this, that it's in these ordinary elements that grace is received, that we as the people of God have gathered around as ordinary people eating ordinary elements, and that somehow as Wesleyans, we believe that the very grace of God descends upon this place. And so this is a moment, this is a this is a photograph in time. But it's reminding us that we as ordinary vessels can be instruments of God's grace. That, that as we go out and we're willing to be broken and spilled out, God can use ordinary people following Jesus to do extraordinary things. That, that love when it's practiced like Jesus practiced love, even by somebody as broken as me, can make a huge impact. And so I invite you as you receive these elements that this not just be a moment, but it be a reminder for the day. That as you leave this place, as you encounter people that, not just the people that you love, those people are easy to love, right? That maybe the people that aren't so lovable, we remember that Jesus died on a cross for them as well. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's not because of anything that we've done, but it's because of what he's done. And so Jesus invites us to live like that, as ordinary instruments of his grace. Now Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Our Heavenly Father, right now we just pause and we give you thanks. You are good. You are gracious. You gave of yourself for us. And even now you serve as an advocate who has given of himself so that we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. But that's not the end. It's merely the beginning for us. As we see what Jesus has done and we understand that we are to live like Jesus, I pray, Lord, that we will not just see, be recipients of your grace, but will be givers of your grace. That, Lord, we won't just receive a, a communion, a, a meal as a reminder of what Jesus has done in our lives, Lord, but we'll receive this meal as a reminder of what God is calling us to be. May we go 
as ordinary people following Jesus and live in such a way that we show your love, that we're light and salt, that we're the people of God living the kingdom of God. Bless these people, Lord. They're good people and they're, they're doing their best and I'm doing my best to serve you. And, and Lord, we just ask that you give us guidance. I pray your Holy Spirit will be at work in our hearts and our, our hearts and our life, Lord, and just continue to grow us in the image of Jesus Christ. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. God bless.